0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, today is the, uh, the first Sunday in Lent, and uh, Lent is a, a season in the church here where we really, uh, it's kind of a, a somber season where we like we reflect and we repent and we really focus on Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross. Uh, and, and in a, perhaps a, a more traditional church, uh, they, they, they kind of change colors that they have up front uh, each, each uh, season of the church here. And the, the color for Lent is purple. Uh, and so I've got my purple earrings in just to, to appease all the traditional folks. Uh, so you're welcome. Um, so, so anyways, there are, there are six Sundays in Lent. Uh, and we're going to study the book of Galatians uh, leading up to Easter, uh, all the six weeks leading up to Easter, and there happen to be uh, six uh, chapters in the book of Galatians. So each week, we're going to look at a chapter. So if you've never read a book of the Bible before, oh, you have showed up to the right place, because in the next six weeks, we're going to read through the entire book. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, so that's what we're doing, but why are we doing it? Why go through the book of Galatians? Why are we, why are we studying this book? Well, I want you to notice the, uh, the subtitle to this series is the gospel, freedom, and life in Christ. And and I think that's really important for us to get. That's that's why we're reading Galatians, because this is really what Galatians is about. It's about the freedom, it's about the rest, it's about the joy, it's about the peace that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about y'all, but I could use some rest and renewal right about now right? Like, I'm a little tired right now. Uh, so just this last week, uh, we had an elders meeting, and so that's the, the guys that, that lead our church spiritually, and uh, and sat down with them. And and, and on our elders team, um, we have a, a bit of a diverse group. And, and before we, we start with... Uh, Before we start our meeting, we always start with prayer, and so we go around the circle and we just share whatever's going on in our lives, whatever struggles are going on in our lives, Uh, and then we pray for one another before we we get down to business. And so sitting down with this group of guys, and we got uh, two dudes that are uh, engineers, one who's a physical therapist, uh, one who's a professor, and then me whatever it is that I do all day. And, and so, so we, we're all sitting there, and then we all have kids. Uh, we all, oddly enough, have two kids that are kind of at different stages in life, though, across the board, some real little, some a little bit older, that sort of thing. So, so we got some different occupations, different stages in life, but as we shared our prayer requests with one another, we all had the exact same prayer request. Every single one of us. And that was this. It was, God... Please help me figure out how to balance my life. Help me to figure out how to, priori- how to do my work, how to take care of my family, how to take care of all the things that I have. Help me to figure out how to-, how to find this balance in my life. And I don't think just our elders are, are praying for that, too. I-, I have a theory that many of you share that same request, Right? that we're all juggling to balance work and life and want to do the best we can in our given professions and then come home and and there's demands on us as husbands and fathers to to care for people and to to love our kids and to provide for our family. So we want to come home and do that and then you just try not to collapse from exhaustion. And I have a theory that maybe happens to many of you too, that you work hard all week, you do your best at your job, you got to perform to keep your boss happy, you got to perform to keep the customer happy, you got to get the job done. And then you come home and there's people that are dependent on your performance there, too. They need you to care for them, need you to love them, cook dinner, clean, drive kids around. And then, oh my goodness, worst of all, you show up to church on Sunday. And your incredibly handsome pastor, deeply humble, but incredibly handsome pastor, uh, gets up front and he says, hey, you got to give more, you got to serve more, you got to be growing spiritually, you got to step up your game here. And so church then gets added on to the performance treadmill that you're already on. Except this time it's even worse because it seems like God is adding more onto your plate. And so what do we do? Like, like, like where do we find rest? Because here's the rub, right? Like you do have to perform at work. That's why they pay you, right? And, and you do have to perform at school if you're in school. And, and you've got to take care of your family. That's just part of the deal. That's the way it works. And yes, being a part of a local church and following Jesus actually involves doing things. It just does. And so where do we find rest? Where do we find peace? How do we get off the performance treadmill and actually find peace in our lives? Well, in the book of Galatians, they have a one-word answer for that. Grace. The answer to that question in the book of Galatians is grace. Grace is an unearned and undeserved gift of God's generous mercy and favor towards you. Grace is an unearned and undeserved gift of God's generous mercy and favor towards you. That's where you'll find rest. Grace. That's where you'll find peace. Uh, In his commentary on the book of Galatians, uh, Martin Luther, the, the great theologian, says this We find no rest for our weary bones. Unless we cling to the word of grace. Find no rest for our weary bones unless we cling to the word of grace. And so, so how do we do that? How do we cling to the word of grace? Uh, well, Galatians chapter 1, our text for today, is going to show us. And it's going to show us kind of how to do that in, in, in three little steps here. First of all, you got to see that you need grace. So you see you need grace. And then secondly, you see that grace is the only message that can deliver. And then thirdly, you've got to see that grace is for you it's not just some generic platitude, but it's for you. Alright, so you see you, you need grace, That's it's the only message that delivers, and that it's for you. Alright, that's what we're going to see in our text. So, so let's get going. Uh, you need grace. Look with me at verses 1 to 2. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open up there, otherwise we've got the, the big Bible up here. It says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. All right, so we see here, first of all, that the uh, the book of Galatians is actually, it's a letter. And it's a letter written by a guy named Paul. He's an apostle in the early church. He's a leader in the early church. uh, And he's writing this letter to the churches of Galatia. Now, who are the churches of Galatia? So real quick history lesson, uh, Acts 13 and 14, uh, Paul, the guy writing this letter, goes on his first missionary journey. Uh, and he visits uh, four different cities, four different areas, Cyprus, Antioch, and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and and all these cities are located in the southern part of a a province of the Roman Empire called Galatia. So this province called Galatia, all these cities are in the southern part. So on his first missionary journey, Paul goes out, and he plants four churches in this one province. And so these are the people that he's writing to. It's uh, modern-day Turkey, if you want to kind of just place it on a map in your head, so it's kind of where modern-day Turkey is. And so that's what he does. Now, most scholars believe that Paul... Uh, went on his first missionary journey in 48 A.D. All right, so 48 A.D. Uh, But then most scholars believe that Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians in 51 A.D., so just three years after uh, he started these churches. Now, for us, three years maybe seems like a long time between corresponding with someone. Uh, We have kind of pretty instant communication these days. Uh, But in those days, three years, that's pretty quick turnaround, in the ancient world for Paul to be writing them. So why, why is he sending this letter to this church in Galatia? Why is he writing to these people that, that he just saw three years ago? Uh, well, what happened in Galatia is, and we'll see this as we go through this entire book, but uh, let me just tell you, as, what happened in Galatia is as Paul starts these church, he shares the gospel, he talks about Jesus, he tells him who he is, what's going on. And then as soon as Paul left, uh, some false teachers, they snuck into these churches. I mean, I don't think they were like real sneaky about it, but they came into these churches and they just said, hey, uh, we know that Paul taught you guys the gospel, but that wasn't the full gospel. They said, hey, we know that Paul told you that, that God loves you, that God forgives you, that God calls you to be his own, that you're made right with him, not because of anything you do or don't do, but purely because of Jesus. We know Paul taught you that, uh, but it, he's not really a real apostle. He's not like a real dude, uh, so don't listen to him. He didn't tell you the whole story. We're going to add a few things. So, yeah, they, they told the Galatians, yeah, you believe in Jesus, that's fine, but you also got to follow all our religious rules you got to follow all our moral code. you got to follow all our regulations. Then you'll be okay with God. And so they distorted the gospel. And friends, that's not grace. It's not the gospel. It's not how God works. That's what I would call religion. Not the gospel. See, the natural tendency of the human heart before God is religion. That we say, hey! If there is some divine being out there, if there is something up there, I got to reach up to it. I got to figure out a way to make myself okay with whatever it is. And so you look throughout human history, and that's what religion is: is it's man attempting to reach up to God. That's just what we do, whether it's through our thinking, through some sort of mysterious rituals, through superstition, through our moral activity, whatever it is—the natural inclination of our hearts is to reach up to God. That's religion. But grace, the gospel, what we believe to be true is that God reaches down to us. That God reaches down to man. Grace is God saying, I don't care who you are or what you've done or where you're coming from. My love is going to pursue you. I don't care how far you think you can run. My love is for you. I sent my son for you. My mercy is for you. It, grace is God reaching down to us. And so Paul sees that these false teachers have come into the church in Galatia and they've totally distorted the gospel and made a mess of things. And so he writes this letter to these people because they need grace. They need grace. So look with me at verses three to four. So he starts off, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. All right, so check this out. It's wild. All right, so verse 3 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So St. Paul, the guy who wrote this letter, wrote most of the New Testament. And if you look at all of his letters to all the people he writes to, he always starts out with what we got there in verse 3. Every single thing he's written says grace and peace. Grace and peace again and again. God's undeserved mercy and his favor towards you and peace the result of receiving that grace in your life. He says that to every person he writes to. What's weird about this text is verse 4. In no other writing of Paul's does he do this. So why is he doing that? Once again, he greets them and he says, Grace, God's undeserved mercy and favor to you. Peace the result of receiving that. But then for the Galatians... He tells them the means by which they receive God's grace and peace. And what is that? Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now, it's huge that he does that. It's huge. And why is it such a big deal? Because think about these people. Think about this church in Galatia. These false teachers have come in, and they've told the Galatians, hey, yeah, you maybe need God's grace a little bit. Like, just just a little bit. But then... Your sin isn't that big of a deal. You can can balance yourself out. You can make yourself okay with God if you just follow our rules. If you just do the religious rituals that we tell you to. If you conform to our cultural practices, you can make yourself okay with God. Be good little boys and girls, you'll be okay with God. Your sin isn't that big a deal. Look what Paul says in verse 4. He says, are are you kidding me? It doesn't work like that. He says, you can't fix you. You can't cover over your own sin. Like, that's why Jesus died. Jesus, why on earth would he die? Why would he go through all that trouble if you could fix your own sin? If you could make yourself okay in God's eyes, why would he go through all that? He says, no, 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 you're too broken. You can't fix you. You need a Savior. And so Paul's telling the Galatians, hey, don't minimize Jesus' sacrifice for you. Don't minimize what he's done for you. You need his grace, and friends. This is of course true for all of you too. Don't minimize Jesus' sacrifice for you. You need grace. There was a film that came out in 1987. I was two, uh, so I didn't see it then. Uh, it was called the The Last Emperor and it's, it's about uh, the last emperor of China. Has anyone ever seen it, by the way? Yeah, all right, yeah, it's kind of classic. Uh, and, uh, and it's about the last emperor of China, and, and it's, he's a, it's a young child, this young child who's the last emperor of China. And it's about kind of this magical life he lives where he's got servants that do everything for him. He's just kind of living in the lap of luxury, and he's just got these thousands of servants that take care of him. Anyways, there's, there's a scene in the film where his brother comes up to him and, and kind of recognizes, like, hey, you're a young child, and young children are, are prone to break rules. It, it just sort of happens, right? And so he says to his brother, the emperor, what happens when you break a rule? And, and the child says, oh, well, when I do something wrong, a servant gets punished. And so just to prove his point, uh, he takes a jar and throws it on the ground, and one of the servants gets beaten. Friends, think about what this text is saying. Think about what grace says. Grace reverses this pattern. Grace says, when we, the servant's err, when we mess up, when we sin, our king, King Jesus, is punished. Reverses that pattern. Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. Let me say that again. Grace is free only because the giver himself has borne the cost. And so don't minimize Jesus' sacrifice. You need grace. And here's why. There's no other message that can deliver. There's no other message that can deliver. Look with me at verses 6 to 7. Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. All right, so, so Paul uh, reminds the Galatians of their need for, for grace. And then verse 6 here, he just starts laying into them. He says, like, hey, need grace. And then he says, what's the matter with you guys? Why did you abandon the gospel? Why did you abandon the good news for something that isn't good news at all? Why would you leave the only message that can actually deliver, the only message that can actually save? Why would you abandon that? And you say, Gabe, you're saying grace is the only message that can deliver. What do you mean by that? Like, how does that work? Well, just follow me on a little uh, logical journey here, okay? Uh, let's say we were all to, uh, to leave the, the church building this morning, and we go out and... Uh, walked the hard streets of Leander, and, and we're to, uh, to take a, a quick survey of folks and just say, if there's a heaven, so anyone can answer that, right? You don't have to believe in a heaven. That's fine. We just ask anyone and, and say, if there's a heaven, how do you get in? If there's a heaven, how do you get in? What are most people going to say, whether secular, religious, it actually doesn't matter? Most people are going to say, you've got to be good. You've got to be good. You've got to be a good person. And... My response to that would be like, okay, fine. I've got a few follow-up questions to that. Uh, Whose definition of good? Right? Because I kind of look around us and it seems like we all kind of have our own definitions of good. I mean, if you look at our two current top presidential candidates right now, Donald Trump, do I need to follow his definition of good? Bernie Sanders, got to follow his definition of good? Very different. Very different, right? And this is just one culture at one point in history. Not to mention all the other cultures with their definitions of good at this point in history and all the cultures throughout history. So, so, whose definition of good do I have to be good enough in order to earn God's favor, in order to get into his heaven? And someone says, okay, fine, smarty pants. Uh, you have to be good enough according to God's definition of what's good. Okay, all right, let's go there. You've got to be good enough according to God's definition of what's good. So, this actually happens in the Gospels. Jesus gets asked this. You guys remember this story, Matthew 19. Uh, a religious young man runs up to Jesus and he says, uh, Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Right? He says, what's the good thing i got to do to get into heaven? How good do I have to be to get in? And if you know the story, do you remember how Jesus answers? He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. And so the guy says... Uh, how good do I have to be to get into heaven? And Jesus says, only God's good enough to get into heaven. And your application to join the Trinity just got denied, right? He says, you're not good enough. No one's good enough. God's, God's the level. you got to get on his level. Can't do it. Can't do it. He's the only one that gets in. Everyone else is out. And so, of course, Jesus' disciples see this interchange and they freak out, right? And they're like, Jesus. Come on, man. Like, if only God's in, like, what hope is there for any of us? What what can we do to be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, this is why grace is the only message that can deliver. It's the only way to peace with God. See, Jesus in that moment points us to the scandalous truth of grace. That God loves us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. God loves us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. See, grace is the only message that can deliver. Nothing else can give you that. And see, you can finally rest in God's grace when you see that it doesn't just deliver in a general sense. It's not just a nice platitude. But point three, that you see that God's grace in Jesus Christ is for you. That's for you. So in our text, Paul's reminded the Galatians of their need for grace. He said, "Hey, it's the only message that can deliver." And then he goes, "I don't know if you guys caught this when Barrett was reading through it, but he kind of goes on this rant on like where he's coming from and all this sort of thing." And really, what he's doing there is he's justifying why he can tell them this is so important. And so, listen to what he says, verses eleven to twelve. He says, "For I would have you know, brothers." That the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he says, Hey, listen, I'm not just making this stuff up. I didn't come up with God's grace or the gospel out of my own head. This isn't just some man's tradition. He says, I was told how this works by the ultimate means of God's grace, the person of Jesus Christ. And so after this, Paul then launches into this thing about what a mess he was before he met Jesus. He says, hey, before I met Jesus, man, I was not looking to meet him. I hated anyone that associated with him. He talks about how violent he was, how he wanted to kill people that were Christians. He wanted to murder those that were part of the church. He says, I was on this dark, dark path. And then there's this beautiful line, verse 15. He says this, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace. He who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. Like you just like think on those words for a second. And the fact that he's saying that. He who set me apart before I was born called me by his grace. Like Paul says, hey, as messed up, as violent, as sinful, as broken as I am. Paul says, I know that God set me apart to be his own before I was born. He had a plan to call me to be his son before I was born. Think about how real the grace of God must have been to Paul. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if the grace of God was that real to you? if that sank in deep in your life, if that's how you saw yourself, one whom God chose to be his own before you were even born. Can you imagine how much rest are in those words? And friends, can I tell you, if you trust in Jesus, this is true of you. What Paul says about himself is true of you. That before you were born, God set you apart by his grace. And in fact, Scripture is even better about it. It says, Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Before the foundations of the world, God knew he was going to call you to be his son. God knew he was going to call you to be his daughter. How amazing is that? From eternity, God had his grace for you personally in mind. Now think about the implications of that, right? This means that God, before he creates everything, chose you knowing full well who you'd be and what you'd do. Knowing full well the mistakes you'd make, the sins you could commit. Knowing about the divorce. Knowing you'd look at porn. Knowing you'd be self-centered. Knowing you'd run other people down. Knowing you'd drink too much. Knowing you'd be arrogant. Knowing you'd gossip. Knowing you'd be greedy. Knowing that you wouldn't live the way he's called you to. Whatever that looks like in your life. He knew all of that. And yet before the foundation of the world, he called you to be his own. And he doesn't regret it for a second. There's no sin you can commit There's no darkness in your past or your present that's too far to turn his grace from you. Couldn't happen. Nothing changes that. Before you were born, he set you apart to call you by his grace. And I say all that and someone says, well, that's all well and good, Gabe. That's good for other people, but trust me, I'm the exception on this one. Promise. I'm the exception. How can you know that this is true? So uh, about a year ago, I was uh, sitting across the table from a guy, uh, a man who'd, who'd served in the military for, for many years, and he'd served many tours of duty in Iraq and in Afghanistan. And so, of course, he's seen things and been through things that most of us uh, can't imagine and hopefully never have to experience. And uh, I remember I'm talking with him, and, and things seemed pretty normal, and he's sharing some of those stories with me. Uh, and then he just starts breaking down and just starts crying. And so here I got this big army dude, like, crying in front of me. And I was like, what's, what's going on? And uh, he said, Pastor, he said, like, I'm not crying about the stuff from the war, any of that stuff that I've been through. He said he was crying because he felt guilty for not being around to help raise his kids. He felt like he had failed as a father, that he had let his family down. And that guilt was just eating him inside. And so I got to tell him, I got to say, man, that may be true. Like, you may not have been the best dad. You may not have been there for your kids when you should have been. But can I tell you something? That doesn't get in the way of your relationship with God. That Jesus has taken care of that. That God forgives you. That God's grace is for you. That he loves you. And he said to me, I don't know, man. How, how do you know that? How do you know that? And I said one word. us die. That's Greek. For it is finished. It is finished. That Jesus' last words on the cross... Or to tell us, it's finished." And I told him, "I said on the cross. Listen, Jesus paid the price for your sin once and for all. On the cross, God's plan from eternity to call you to be His own through His grace is completed in Jesus. To tell us, it's finished." And so, friends, hear that this morning. Jesus is taking care of everything for you before God. There is nothing you can do or not do that would take God's favor off of you. Jesus takes care of all of it. It's finished. It's complete. God loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. That's grace. And it's for you. So uh, Ernest Hemingway told a story of a a man in Spain. And uh, there's a a father and his son. and, And his father and son got in an argument. And as a result of the argument, the, the son ended up running away and going to Madrid. And after a while, the father realized, like, man, I really want to reconcile with my kid. And so the father goes to Madrid, and, uh, and he put an ad in, the, in one of the local newspapers. And in the ad, it read this. Paco, it's his son's name. Paco, meet me at Hotel Montaña, noon Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. Now, Paco was a common name in Spain at that time. And so when noon on Tuesday rolled around, the father went to meet his son Paco there, and there were 800 sons named Paco looking to reconnect with their father. I love this story because it reminds me, we're all Pacos, right? God is the father who in his grace welcomes us all into his arms. So my prayer for you this week is that you would find peace and rest in the arms of your Father this day and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you relate to us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. That your love for us and your grace for us supersedes anything that would stand in the way of us knowing you. God, I pray for my friends gathered here, that they would know that, that they would receive that message deep into their hearts. That in our busy lives, and our busy days, we would find rest for our souls in you. The God who's done everything to get us through sending your son, Jesus. May we trust in him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.